RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by the official Star Trek Starships collection. Get the Enterprise D for only $4.95 when you sign up today at st-starships.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 272, Babel. the Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart from messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing whether the whole thing holds up today. This week, Babel, the one where Miles O'Brien steps on a figurative landmine with just as destructive results. John's got trivia coming up in a moment, but first... But first... But first... A word from Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships collection. It's the classic collection of teeny tiny starships. The ones that are perfect for building your own fleet. Maybe on a desk, maybe on a shelf. Whatever flat surface you have handy. Officially authorized by CBS Studios, the official Star Trek Starships collection is available only from Eagle Moss Collections. This is the ultimate collection, yes, The ultimate collection of vessels from across the Star Trek universe, from the original series to Deep Space Nine, all the way to Star Trek Beyond and Beyond. Each model is made of die-cast metal and high-quality ABS materials, then hand-painted with reference to the actual CG models used in production and, where they exist, photos of the original studio models. Each ship also comes with a display base, plus a collector's magazine featuring behind-the-scenes info, original design sketches, and a breakdown of technology on board. Subscribe to the collection today to receive your first ship, the USS Enterprise NCC-1701D. It's been a while, hasn't it? It's been like, it's been what, like six weeks, eight weeks now since we rode the D? Yeah, I know. It's been quite a while. Anyway, you can ride the D again for only (laughs) $4.95 with free shipping. Additional models, and there are already over a hundred of them, will then ship twice monthly and are delivered directly to your door. Now, as a subscriber, you are also entitled to free gifts worth over $90, and you can cancel your subscription at any time. Full details can be found at st-starships.com slash mission log. Now, fans who'd like to purchase their favorite ships individually, like, say, the Bajoran Solar Sailor, the Cardassian Galore class, or maybe even Deep Space Nine itself, well, you can do that for just a few dollars more, either online at shop.eaglemoss.com or at your local comic book shop. But, again, to subscribe... Point your browser to st-starships.com slash missionlog. That's st-starships.com slash missionlog. And a big thanks to Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show. John's got trivia coming up in just a moment, but first I'm going to tell you how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 
323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And now, as promised, it's trivia time. Say hey once again to Mr. John Champion. Well, here we go, Ken, with Trivia for Babel. Now, it's written by Sally Caves and Iris Stephen Bear. Sally is someone we talked about before. She is actually Sarah Hidgley, and she created the character of Reg Barclay in her TNG episode, Hollow Pursuits. So this story was, in fact, an idea that they've been kicking around on TNG for a number of years until it was decided to do here on Deep Space Nine. And, of course, Ira Stephen Bear, a man whose name is synonymous with Deep Space Nine. We talked about Ira when he started writing for TNG in its third season, but he didn't stay with that show too long. He was later approached by Rick Berman and Michael Piller to help develop this all-new take on Trek, though as a producer and writer. And this is the first of many writing credits we will see for Ira as we go along. The teleplay for Babel is by Michael McGreevy and Naren Shankar. Now, Michael knew Ira Stephen Bear from his days working on the TV show Fame, and he has genre credits with shows like The Incredible Hulk and Wonder Woman. He had pitched Deep Space Nine with a love story centering around Dax and Bashir, but, but no, they didn't go for that one. <laughs> he wrote the real meaning of the nonsense words in this script, which I, th- I found really interesting. It was a tool for the actors where he had all the nonsense words, but then parentheses, he had what the line actually meant. So mm. they could still emote the meaning of the scene, even though they were saying nonsense. Makes sense. Total sense for an actor to have that as a tool. Now, Naren Shankar, we know from TNG. Uh, remember that Naren got hired because Jerry Taylor liked his spec script enough to give him a chance. And he wrote season five's The First Duty with Ron Moore. And he went on to write eight more episodes and then act as science advisor on TNG. This episode was directed by Paul Lynch. Hey, that's very familiar. He literally just directed the last episode we talked about, which was A Man Alone, (laughs) which was not the previously filmed episode because no TV director could do that, at least not in their right mind. Hey, uh, we have been focusing on members of the regular cast for Deep Space Nine in our trivia section. And and Ken, there's something really important here. Um, If you remember... When we recorded our episode for A Man Alone, we focused on René Aubergenois. Mm-hmm. And it happened to be at a time that you were visiting L.A., and you and I spent some time together, and we could go over notes together, and it's something we never get to do. Right. Well, you may remember that we were talking about René Aubergenois and how awesome he is, and then we both said, oh, and he was Colonel West in that scene in Star Trek VI that got cut out. And and how cool is that? And then, because we'd had that conversation, I promptly left it out of trivia. Yeah, this is why you and I should not talk. Ever. Ever. <laughs> this is the only contact we should ever have. Yes. Indeed, yes. It's going to make parties like the one that we had that time at that place. Kind of mm-hmm. difficult. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it'll be awkward in Vegas. Oh, sure. Very but awkward. it's for the good yeah. of the show. Yep. 
Yeah, yeah. Keep us separated, please. Uh, but yeah, that, that was actually a real conversation that happened. We're like, oh, yeah, that was interesting. That happened in Star Trek six. And he was that guy. And then yeah. he was in that deleted scene and they pull the mask off. And the, well, a whole conversation that never made it to air. So then naturally, who got email about what was left out of trivia? Um, also worth noting that Renee will come back in a guest role on Enterprise. But hey, let's move on this week and let's talk about somebody who is front and center in this episode. And that would be our old friend, Cole Meany. Now, Chief O'Brien really needs no introduction since we met him on Next Gen. He did 52 episodes there and he appeared in both the pilot and finale of that series as well as the pilot and upcoming finale of Deep Space Nine. So, spoiler there, Chief O'Brien makes it. <laughs> um, Colomini was born in Dublin, and uh, look at this for consistency with the Deep Space Nine cast. He's primarily a theater actor for the bulk of his career. Hmm. Mm-hmm, yeah. Now, of course, he has all kinds of great TV and film credits as well, like Lair Cake, Con Air, Stargate Atlantis. And he's in one of the coolest Westerns I know, which is Hell on Wheels. I've mentioned that show here before because he's in it and Marvin Rush shot it. And I just think it's a great show and everybody should watch it. And Ken, guess what? Uh, would you like to hazard a guess at what was his first U.S. TV appearance? Star Trek. No, but you were so close, it was moonlighting. Was it really? It oh. really was. He had a gastrol in 1986. Yep. Yeah. Can I tell you what horrifies me? What's that? I'm looking over all this stuff you got about Cole Meany, and what I'm not seeing here are uh, the snapper, the commitments. Like, oh, sure. Like, I mean, yeah. the, you know, because he's an Irish actor, and it yeah. turns out Irish right. filmmakers kind of thought, you know what we could do? We could hire this Irish guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no you, you don't want to do that. No, yeah. yeah but, uh, yeah. you know, yeah, one of my favorite, from a book, that's one of my favorite <laughs> Cole Meanly lines ever. And anybody who knows that movie ha has any idea what I'm talking about? Yeah. From a book is actually nice. one of my favorite. Uh, oh, the Englishman who went up a hill and came down a mountain. That's another mm -hmm. one. Have mm -hmm. you no decency? No, I can't think where I left it. Mm. Yeah, Cole Meany, everybody. No, not not even uh, not even the great uh, Taffin with Pierce Brosnan and Allison Duty. I think there's not a Cole Meany to be found anywhere in there. I have no idea what you're talking about when you say that. Most of those sounded like made up words, honestly, pretty much from what you just much. said. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's talk about guest stars. Jack Kaler as Jahil. Jack got his start in the early '80s, and he, he's sort of one of those that guy character actors who turns up everywhere. He has a recognizable voice, even if his face is hidden here under a lot of makeup. Now, this may be his only Trek appearance, but he turns up in David Lynch's Lost Highway. He's in Waterworld. Uh, he had a recurring character in uh, The Man in the High Castle. He was in Men in Black, too, and just so, so much more. And, and Ken, you have a favorite. He's here. he's the dude's landlord. He was Marty. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And the thing is, it, because he was under so much makeup, I felt like that's going to end up being somebody that we know. That's going to yeah. end up being somebody yeah. that we know who that is. And then I looked him up and I was like, well, I don't know who that is, except he looked a little bit familiar. And then I went and checked it out. Yeah, he had that horrible dance recital in The Big Lebowski. Yeah. Yeah, that just yes. terrible, terrible, horrible dance recital in The Big Lebowski right before they went to In-N-Out Burger. Nice. Yeah. And rounding out the guest stars that we want to talk about this week, Matthew Faison as Cermak Wren. Now, Matthew cut his teeth on those 70s TV shows like Fantasy Island and MASH and... 
Then after many recurring and feature TV roles, he starts to show up in a lot of horror. Uh, Friday the 13th Part 6, Freddy's Dead, Tales from the Crypt, Puppet Master 3, just, uh, just a lot of horror. And then his acting roles sort of dry up around 1999, and this is his only Star Trek appearance. Spoiler alert. This episode, Babel, is not the long-awaited sequel to Journey to Babel. Prologue. Nothing on DS9 is working right. And because of that, Chief O'Brien is having one of those days. Airlocks won't open. Dax's lab is either too loud or too dark. The navigational computer is out. A very agitated Captain Jahil needs repairs just so he can leave. Adding insult to injury, the replicators aren't working right either. And it might be related to a piece of technology that definitely doesn't belong there. A piece that O'Brien missed. Act 1. With replicators on the fritz, Quark's business is taking a hit. He's got just one angry customer left, soon to be zero customers when he's escorted out by Odo. Quark says his replicator is on O'Brien's to-do list, but without anyone looking, he's got a sneaky way to bypass security protocols and look at which replicators on board the station are operational. And what do you know? Before long, Quark's is hopping again. In the command area... Cisco thanks O'Brien for being on top of it all and for Keiko doing such a good job teaching Jake. O'Brien says thanks and then drops in what sounds like some cockney rhyming slang or chitty chitty bang bang. Cisco and O'Brien are a little confused, but O'Brien shakes it off and says, yeah, Jake's a good teapot. O'Brien is definitely looking Moby and the words coming out of his mouth make Major Kira think he's gone a bit rolling butter. The words coming out of his mouth make no sense whatsoever. Act 2. Dr. Bashir puts O'Brien through some tests to find nothing wrong with him at all. He's not even elephants. That's hard to explain to Commander Sisko, but there's no apparent physical cause. It's just that O'Brien is completely aphasic. There's no correlation between his thoughts and what he says or writes. He thinks one thing, but the dicky that comes out is something else entirely. As the senior staff try to figure out what caused this, Dax starts to show symptoms of aphasia herself, with the words coming out of her mouth being Pete as well. Bashir is able to draw some comparison now between Dax and O'Brien. They both seem to have been hit by a virus, which causes the impairment. In that case... Cisco orders quarantine of the station as others start to show they're infected, too. Strangely, it's all business as usual down at Quark's. Even though the quarantine limits station functions to essentials only, Quark is doing a bang-up business which raises Odo's suspicions. Want to know a little secret? Quark is using one of the replicators on the command level to supply his bar. When Quark sneaks into one of the crew quarters to replicate an Edna... Odo hid himself to come along as a bar cart. Odo, being the good bottle he is, figured it out when Quark had claimed that Rom fixed the replicators. No way, Rom is indeed too dumb for that. Dr. Bashir is making progress, and it isn't good news. The replicators are to blame, and with Quark using those replicators, it's spreading. More bad news? The virus is mutating swiftly and has become airborne as well. Everyone, yes, everyone on DS9 is infected. Act 3. 
Crawling around inside the replicator, Kira finds what O'Brien missed, a piece of technology that she is absolutely certain is Cardassian in origin. It introduces the virus into replicated food at a molecular level as it materializes. A call comes in from Bashir that Sisko had better come down to the infirmary right away. Unfortunately, Sisko's own saucepan, Jake, is showing signs of infection. More and more, people are affected but being kept together— Quark, unaffected, is in there, of course, trying to squeeze some of the bug's bunny out of one of his customers. Bashir has made one type of breakthrough about the virus, though. It's not Cardassian. It's Bajoran, judging by the techniques used to engineer it. Odo says it's likely that when Deep Space Nine was built some 18 years ago, one of the Bajoran underground snuck it on board to infect the Cardassians who were there. It was to be a perfect... Oh, uh, wait, uh, what's the phrase? Booby trap? Yes, booby trap. The booby trap was never set off because that person either forgot or was captured or killed before they could. Well, at least they know where to start. Kira's given the task of looking into Bajoran records for some idea of who created it, how to find an antidote if there even is one. She makes some progress, a name, one Decon Elig is a good lead. Only problem is, he was in a Cardassian prison camp years ago, and the records end there. She'll have to look elsewhere. Meanwhile, it's getting worse for O'Brien. The virus seems to have attacked more than just his speech center in his brain. He's sweaty, unconscious, and has definitely taken a turn for the worse. Act 4. Bashir tells Sisko the bad news. O'Brien will be brown bread soon if they don't do something. They've got 12 hours at best, and nothing seems to be helping. O'Brien is just the first of many more to come. Kira's research confirms that Deacon Elig was killed during an escape attempt from the internment camp, but there is someone who worked with him, Sermak Wren, still living somewhere on Bajor. Great. He's easy enough to find, and of course, he shuts down Kira immediately when she asks about Deacon Elig. So you know he's hiding something. Bashir is hard at work testing anything to defeat the virus when, you guessed it, he is stricken too. We're really starting to run out of lemon and lime. Kira sees her only opportunity to do something means going straight to Sermak Wren, which sounds like a terrible idea until she explains to Sisko that she'll take a runabout and has no intention of leaving it. She goes. Sisko and Odo are pretty much alone now in senior positions on Deep Space Nine. Oh, you remember Jahil, right? He was so mild-mannered before, but very direct with Sisko about how he has to leave the station. His entire crew was hit by the virus, but Jahil is right Barney and attempting to break away with his own ship now, against Sisko's direct order. The harder Jahil's ship pulls at the mooring clamps on DS9, which can't be released, the more strain it causes his engines. If they can't break him away, the explosion will take out a chunk of the station. Act 5. Kira's getting closer to Bajor and calls up Dr. Sermak again. She calls from her runabout and, without warning, beams him aboard. Meanwhile, the situation on DS9 is even more tense. Jahil's ship is going Allen Border, with a fire on board in 15 minutes before his engines blow up. The only thing Sisko and Odo can devise is to blow up the mooring clamps, which they'll have to do manually. But wouldn't you know, 
Cisco now starts to show signs of the viral infection, which leaves Odo all Jack Jones, until Quark shows up. And it's Quark who offers to help, beaming Odo directly to the mooring controls for Jaheel's ship. Aboard Kira's runabout, Cermak Wren isn't happy one bit about being kidnapped for something he didn't do, because, honestly, he didn't. He didn't create the virus. He only worked with Deacon Elig for six months before they went to the bucket. Too bad, says Kira, because she's infected, which means he's infected too. Now she'll take him to DS9, where he can look at Bashir's work and hopefully make some progress. While all of this is happening, Odo manages to drag Jaheel out of his ship and manually release the docking clamps with only seconds to spare. Jaheel's ship is knocked free and explodes seconds later, at a safe distance from DS9. Odo saved the day, but Quark got him there, which leaves the perfect opportunity for the Ferengi to take the mickey out of him, asking for a bit of extra bees. Cermak Wren is hard at work, and wait, what's that? He already found an antidote? While Major Kira was succumbing to the virus right in front of him? Oh, okay, well, that's a good bit of friar talk. DS9's crew is cured, and it's business back to usual until Cisco replicated a cup of Everton, only realizing that O'Brien hasn't quite perfectly repaired everything yet. The end. O'Brien! <laughs> that was, yeah, that, that seemed like maybe just, just a go little... Go ahead and get it out of the way right now. It's just the worst end. That or should they, maybe they could have done a freeze frame with a slap on the back. Absolutely. That's yeah. honestly, that's what they should have done. Like when he, when he yells O'Brien and O'Brien should sort of look at the camera and kind of shrug mm-hmm. and then freeze on that. Yeah. Oh, wait. Oh, oh, freeze on that or cut back spit take freeze on the spit take. That's <laughs> nice idea. Yeah. 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 I like mm-hmm. that. So I'm thinking about the guy who was eating the stew at Quark's, right? Yeah. Okay. You've acted, right? Sure. Some parts are bigger than others. Absolutely. It is said that there are no small parts. Mm-hmm. So all I could think about was the director or, you know, this guy's acting coach or his girlfriend or maybe maybe the man in the mirror saying, mm-hmm. okay, here's your motivation. Mm-hmm. You really like stew. Okay. <laughs> Good stew is like the best thing ever. And bad stew, mm-hmm. well, really bad stew is enough to make you want to kill. And this is the worst stew you've ever had. Action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because he was, man, boy, oh boy, <laughs> if there's one thing, like, he hates bad stew, and he loves good stew. He does. And they they make up to him for that. Yeah. <laughs> they got him, like, all, they cast that. I'm I'm so glad you <laughs> mentioned him, because I, I had so many thoughts, and, um, yeah, that pretty much crystallizes it to perfection. All right. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. There you go, man. I I just, look, I'm going to guess right away that we're not going to see a lot of him back. You don't think so? Well, I mean, unless every week he could just be like, hey, Stu's not bad this week. Oh, (laughs) Stu's a little off this week, uh, Uh Quark there. It's Uh a, yeah, I I might have to find some other place to go for Stu. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Man, we we just, uh, a whole Stu talk coming soon (laughs) to Mission Log. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) <laughs> I uh, love that idea. It's your whole food uh, thing. It's your whole food thing, honestly. Is, I think you it started is. it, really. Okay, look, look. I, I, I know I started say, this episode, but you started it. No, I know, and I will totally own that. Uh, his stew did look very runny. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so I, I will I will give him that. I, I like uh, a heavier, beefier stew myself. All right. But I'm also not eating it through prosthetics. That's so, true. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. true. And he got the one thing. I mean, that's because uh, really he's got the one thing. The, that's all he needs. That's all life. he had. That's all yeah. he had to work with. You know, yeah. he didn't even give him like, well, I like you, Quark, but this stew is terrible. Just yeah. like, you know, no, it's it. It it all hinges on the next bite you take. And then he yeah. like manhandles Quark. He like he grabs does. Quark and like shoves, like shoves the stew in his face. And, and Odo is there. He's like, that's enough. And the guy still like shoves a spoon in his mouth. And yeah. then, and then right. Odo does the whole, you know, um, shapeshifter nerve pinch. Well, I, I was going to ask about that. It, it looks almost like a Vulcan nerve pinch, but not quite to make him unconscious. Although that would have been fun. Just make him pass out right away. Yeah. But it's so close. It's like a thing that Odo picked up maybe when he met or turned himself into a Vulcan at some point. I was going to say, do you think he can just like, like, did he turn his hand Vulcan just so he could get it just right? <laughs> right. Just like stop <laughs> the guy from force feeding, you know, in fairness, food that Quark had sold to the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. <laughs> oh man! All right, let's let's move on. Let's, uh, there's so many questions about the stew and about that guy and about his feelings about the stew. Um, replicators can truly the magic of Star Trek. I mean, yeah, look, I understand that transporters are magic as well, but they're also suicide machines, and they work on the same principle uh, as a replicator. <laughs> there are similarities there. Okay. Um, I love that we go inside a replicator this week. At the beginning, like literally inside a replicator and it's got tubes and, and liquid in there. And I, I that's confusing to me. And just a lot of empty space, so much empty space, in fact, that you can get inside one and look out from there. Like you could literally, if you're on the other side, you look out and see a face mm-hmm. from inside the replicator. Just a neat prop, uh, definitely bigger than the replicator they left for uh, Mr. Oxbridge. Yes. Way, and way bigger. One assumes bigger than the replicators in everybody's rooms on uh, the Enterprise as well. You if think? not, you could have gotten 1,500 people on there if you just work on a smaller replicator. Exactly. Exactly. Because yeah. that was a lot of empty space, as you say. Um, but we learned that the replicators have biofilters too, mm-hmm. just like the transporter, which is way cool. But here's the thing. I, I ask myself, if you're starting from a stored recipe – would you actually need a biofilter? Because if I said coffee, okay, he, here is the, the chemical makeup of coffee. Mm-hmm. And then you already know the chemical makeup of uh, of a mug. Here's how you make that. So just make a mug and make coffee and make it hot. I don't really need necessarily a biofilter to do that. But, but if the replicator is just storing the template from some original creation, mm-hmm. so you, you literally – Set You made a cup of coffee, you set it down, and you let uh, a replicator sort of import that as the template. Does that mean that every cup of coffee you have is now a replica of the very first cup of coffee that was scanned in? I hope, well, if it's just a replica of something, I hope it is a copy of the very first one, because then you're not going to get too much degradation. Because if each one is a copy of the last one, then your 10th oh. cup of coffee is just going to taste like crap. Yeah, it's just going to be mud. It, it will have no resemblance to coffee. Yeah. Here, here's the thing that, that I, I, why I do think, though, you do need biofilters. We've mm-hmm. never established where it's getting the raw materials that it's turning into food, right? 
Oh, so but here's the thing: the the replicator is, is my understanding is that we're talking about energy to matter. It's pulling energy to create matter, as opposed to what I think you're getting at is the old Steve Martin bit about how you, you go get fast food and it's just a vat of the same material that gets pressed out into like, here's your burger, here's your fries, here's your mm-hmm. change. Yeah. And it's all coming out of a vat. Yeah. Okay. That's funny. Actually, I've never heard that bit, but no, I mean, thinking about like things like, like why do you need a biofilter then on the transporter? Well, the biofilter on the transporter is like, if I go someplace, mm-hmm. right. And then I get beamed up from that place. But while I was at that place and a bacteria attached itself to me or a virus attached itself to me, that is dangerous. Yeah. Then the, the transport can go look, okay, all of this stuff, this is John, but that right. one little thing there is definitely not John. Leave that behind. Okay. Well then a couple of things. First of all, they could have solved this whole thing by beaming everybody off of deep space nine and beaming them back on. But additionally, mm-hmm. what were the tubes of liquid? if not something that goes into the food that comes out. Yeah, see, that that's why I just say that that a, it's a mystery. Yeah. And, and if I gave – I'm just going to say like a hydraulic fluid, <laughs> which, 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 look, which might be delicious in yeah, its own oh, right. That sounds really tasty. I think we know what happened to the stew now, don't we? Yeah. Oh, there we go. It all comes full circle. It does. Hey, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I know that DS9 is big. Like yeah, really huge. I, I've been looking at blueprints to try to wrap my head around how big this is. Bigger than we can really express on TV. We only see a tiny portion of it. But even if you've got some replicators working and not others, oh man, just start a line. Okay. Have you not been on a cruise recently? I'm sorry. I'm worried about you. Were you starved as a child? Did you not eat before we started today? Because this is three replicator things in a row now. (laughs) I'm sorry I brought up the stew. Okay. Okay. I'm okay. Uh, uh, First question. uh, It's been a few few months. It's been a few months since the cruise. And I had half a chocolate bar before we started uh, talking tonight. Is that all you've had today, though? No, no, it was preceded by a lot of food. But I'm, I'm always thinking ahead, Ken. I'm always a step ahead. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. Hey, so I got a question about Odo. Yes. About, about our man, Odo. Um, I find his position as observer interesting in this episode. Mm-hmm. This is not like, you know, whatever. I mean, first of all, he can learn things because apparently he did pick up a Vulcan nerve pinch somewhere along the way. So he sure. can observe and and do, right? Yeah. But he's been sitting at Quarks for years, doesn't know how to play the games there. Right. Yeah. He's served on DS9 for years, but is barely proficient in ops. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, he really shouldn't have to be now because there should be Starfleet personnel around. And, of course, when the Cardassians ran things, which was up until, you know, like a week ago, yeah. um, he'd, he'd have not had a lot of access to ops. But it's still interesting that this guy who sees all is capable of relatively little and I'm not saying that to make fun of him. I'm actually wondering if that's going to be a thing about the character going forward. Like, yeah. Does he spend yeah. all of his time observing, but so little time doing, except for the law mm-hmm. and order bit, that uh, that he's missing out on a lot of stuff? Yeah. No, that, that's a good question. He seems very uh, single-minded. Yeah. And and because of that, he might be missing out. So we, maybe we, so. We've got a yeah. We got a long way to go with Odo, and maybe maybe that'll change. Oh. One of my favorite lines in this episode. Odo. Speaking of Odo, mm-hmm. Rom's an idiot. He couldn't fix a straw if it was bent. <laughs> I love that. Uh, uh, and, and so we have not yet established that Rom is his brother, have we? 
We know that Nog, we have actually because no, he we said did. he was his brother's boy. He said Nog was his brother's boy. Yeah. And we've yeah. established that Rom is Nog's dad. Right. But in this episode, Quark refers to Rom as his assistant. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. But no, but we had established it before. They, they, we have they, established it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it took us two episodes to establish it. <laughs> yeah, because then yeah. Uh, Odo says, you know, Rom's an idiot. And Quark says, yeah, you're right, he is. Remind me to fire him tomorrow. Fire him, yeah. Yeah, he's still your it. brother, dude. Um, <laughs> I, I have a question, actually. It was great to hear it because I asked the question last week. Is the question mm-hmm. of how Dabo is played going to be a running gag? <laughs> <laughs> because I thought it was funny that they're there and Quark's like, I haven't wanted to spend. Uh, would you like to try? And Odo's like, I don't know how. <laughs> and, and Quark's like, oh, let me tell you. And Odo's like, no time. Sorry. And I'm like, right. oh, is that going to be a thing? Because that'll be kind of funny if that ends up being a thing. I, I love that, actually. That, that's kind of funny. I imagine the rules are, are kind of like uh, Fizbin. Oh, nice. Okay. You know, I thought you were going to yeah. go for the easy one and say roulette. But yeah, you're right. It could be like Fizbin. Sure. A, a little bit of roulette, a little bit of Fizbin, you know, could be a bit of both. Uh, there's, uh, you, you had asked about this, I think, last week, hmm. asking about the history of the Deep Space Nine station. Was it Cardassian? And, and I, I knew. Well, no, I knew in, it was Cardassian. What I wondered was, was it a military outpost? Well, well, that's right. We didn't know the history, but now we actually get a line where uh, uh, it's uh, Dr. Cermak says, ah, yes, the old Cardassian mining station. Mm-hmm. So very cool that that there's the answer to who built the station and when and why. You know, we have all of that tied up in this episode. Still, that little bit of exposition was a bit ham-fisted, and it reminded me of Plan 9 from Outer Space. Have you... You know, the, the famous Ed, when we were, were the ruler, says he's like looking through sheets of paper. He's like, Plan 9. Ah, yes. Plan 9 deals with the resurrection of the dead. Long distance electrodes shot into the pineal and pituitary gland of the recently dead. And it's just like, yes, we, we need to make sure that the audience knows exactly what Plan 9 is. So we yes. say it. It's, it's great. So it's they don't so confuse great. it with Plan 6. Don't. No. Or whatever other plan there would be. Yeah. Uh, speaking of funny lines, to me, it was a funny line anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. Cisco's on his way back up. This is after he's gotten the bad news about O'Brien. Mm-hmm. But of course, Kira hasn't heard the bad news about O'Brien. She just knows he's sick, right? Sure. So Cisco comes back onto yeah, the bridge or ops or wherever and says, no need to ask how you're doing. And she says, chasing after ghosts. And Cisco says, you have 12 hours to catch one. And Kira says, and then? And Cisco says, people start dying. Mm-hmm. And I wanted Kira to go, is that a threat? <laughs> Because I don't, because it sounds like you know, because because then bring the body bags because I'm kicking people out of here until you find an answer. I mean, I understand. Right. I guess the implication is there, but it was just like he sounded like you know, movie villain. Like like maybe the is there a deleted scene where he comes back and is like, by the way, I wasn't threatening anyone. <laughs> what I was She's saying right. was that O'Brien. Yes. Right. <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm like, still wow. working on my Avery Brooks imitation. Sorry. It's, it's coming along. It's coming along. Yeah, it, it should be like, wow, Starfleet is way tougher than I thought. <laughs> you know? Should have joined you. Man, I wasted months yeah. with the Maquis. My goodness. <laughs> or whomever. Oh, not the Maquis. Whoever. Don't don't send your letters. No, no, I know. Don't, I know. Yeah. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. With the Bajoran underground. Whatever. New faction every week, by the way. Did you notice? Yeah, this guy was time. a member of that one. The guy last week was a member, or two weeks ago. Con Ma, baby. Tana yeah. Los was a member of a different one. And just, Con yeah, I can't yeah. believe I remember his name. That's not mm-hmm. going to last much longer. Nope, nope. 
All right. No, so here's another thing that I, I know there's a hand waving explanation for this, and I'm I'm not interested in hearing it. <laughs> but similar to when the Enterprise E crashed into the scimitar, and, and they tried to like back up. Yeah. They're like, well, how is this going to work? You know. Well, Jaleel, sorry, not Jaleel, Jaheel, trying to pull his ship away from DS9 out in space would mean that he's just dragging Deep Space Nine along with him. No, I got to disagree with you on this one. I okay, know why? you don't want the hand-waving whatever. All right, uh, but, all right. But go the ahead, thing go is, ahead. Deep Space Nine is a space station that is supposed to stay stationary. Sure. Additionally, it's got to make sure that it maintains its position near the wormhole, right? Mm-hmm, I got to mm-hmm. figure there are retro thrusters. I got to figure there there's, there's something that, that automatically kicks in. Like if Deep Space Nine starts to go too far in any direction, something's automatically going to stop it from doing that. Well, remember, there, there are, and we have seen them fired up. Yeah, that's how we got to the wormhole. Right, right. But but we haven't seen them fired up in this episode. And I'm just thinking, like, okay, all we need to do is just turn off that thing that would fire up, that is not currently fired up, and let, uh, let, let Shaheel just start going to town. You don't because... know for certain that it wasn't fired up, though. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying okay, I think well... that's an auto thing that's going to happen. Okay, all right. Because so otherwise, it, it, every time the ship with... docks. Yeah, well, <laughs> it could. It could, it I could. know. Yes. Yeah. Um, I still, I love how things on Star Trek blow up on time. Um, I, I can't download a song with a download time that's accurate. Like, it'll say 10 seconds, then it's 30, then it's a minute, then it's five seconds. But if I have 15 seconds before a warp core breach... I know it's exactly 15 seconds and not a moment sooner and not a moment later. Um, also, speaking of that, though, really good set piece with Odo rescuing Jaheel and blowing up the mooring station. Actually, I mean, all the sets on DS9 are really great because this show starts out with a lot of production value going for it. But I, I just thought the mechanics of that was really cool. The walls coming off and those kind of pistons pushing out of the way. It was a really, really cool piece and, and something nice-looking and complex on TV. I do not want to be that computer, but would the Universal Translator not find a way to translate for them? So think back, think way, way back to last week, and we were talking about uh, the Dax and Bashir relationship, such as it is. Stretching the use of that word quite a bit, but yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I don't mean they, they're in a relationship. I just mean relationship between characters. Yeah. Okay, yes, yes, yes. Um, and uh, Bashir has a sort of like lost puppy dog infatuation with her, and she's a sort of above it all. And, uh, and I, I mentioned how fascinated I am with the idea that we really get to explore the duality of the trill and, and, this question about who's inside versus who's outside Mm -hmm. in this episode. I I feel like we get a slightly more cringy moment with Dax 
So last week, I, I said that I could forgive some of the stuff with Bashir. I, I hope that the Bashir thing isn't one note as we go along. Um, but basically, you're just giving a, a quick sketch of a character and saying, here's this attractive woman, here's this young guy, and he just really wants an opportunity to go out with her. And and will, will they, won't they, you know? Um, but there's a scene here with Dax being ogled repeatedly by men on Deep Space Nine and her saying it, it's different. She's reminded it's been more than 80 years since she's been female. Mm-hmm. It's different, but it's enjoyable. Now, I, I left that bit out of the recap because as far as the story went, it was a non sequitur. I just wanted to bear down on the story. But but that is a moment that happened and, and she and Kira are walking down the promenade heading to uh, Quark's and, and you just see all these guys like turn their heads and, and she's just sort of got a smile and says, oh yeah, boy, it's, it's, it's different, but uh, but it's enjoyable. I, I, I found that a little cringeworthy. Interesting. Because I know that I had said last, I had posed the question last week, um, is Doc's like, does somebody need to defend Dax or is Dax amused by the whole thing? Because, you know, she's 300 plus years old and mm-hmm. she's seen this sort of thing in the past. Right. I mean, it's definitely wrong that every guy on the promenade is leering. Yeah. At the same time, I don't have a problem with with the writer writing this character saying, yeah, it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Well, I don't. I, I can't tell that story actually because it's not my story to tell. <laughs> I will say I have I have known people in the past who, even in situations where they are not necessarily up for whatever, they do like the attention. Sure, sure. Okay. So I mean, they sort of address this. I think when when she talks about enjoying the attention that she's getting this time around as a female. It doesn't feel like a statement to me that women should feel complimented being objectified, but having been female before and presumably having aged out of being ogled, um, then having been a guy, then becoming a woman again, I mean, this is one of those impossible Star Trek scenarios, right? Mm -hmm. Where you can decide how to receive the attention the second or third time around because it's a trill, Dax will have time after time after time to experience this and has experienced it before. It's a very different thing. Like I don't expect I don't expect every twenty five to you know forty uh, five year old woman or whatever age doesn't matter what age. Sadly, it does not matter what age at all. I don't expect women to be like, oh come on, it's a compliment. Just take it like a compliment. It's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we get one time around, and we should really treat each other as decent people. We should treat each other decently as decent people with 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 things to offer. We should treat each other as humans, not sex objects. You know, unless. Unless you're an established, you know, it's not that there's not room for any sexiness, whatever. But I mean, yeah, I'm no, not look, saying look, that women uh, should be complimented being objectified, as I said before. But for Dax to be 300 plus years old and be like, oh, I remember this. And, you know, third time around doesn't stink for me personally. So like, I, I think here's where I'm hitting a wall with this. And, and you're, you're describing it very well, which is that. The way that we look at a show like this, so we're looking at Star Trek world, what what is happening in the reality of the 24th century with these characters, but we're also looking at production world. What was happening in the writer's room when somebody came up with this idea and said, let's let's craft some dialogue around it and see how it plays. So Mm -hmm. in Star Trek world in the 24th century, 
we are assuming a level of uh, equality and okayness with who the characters are. So in that context, when, when a Dax comes along and, and says, okay, now I'm in the body of a 29 year old attractive female, um, you know, conventionally attractive female, and I walk around and I'm totally okay with the attention that brings. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That, and yes, you, you can argue the merits of, uh, objectification or, or, uh, you know, allowing that sort of thing to happen in the right context. I get it. I think when you come back around to the other angle here, which is to say that in the early 90s, when this show was being written, you've got writers saying like, okay, well, well, what's the likely to, what's the likely thing to happen to Dax now walking around the halls of Deep Space Nine? Well, she's going to get ogled by every single guy there. And that, that's the thing that's a little, cringy about it to me that this is just a thing that's happening on the station yeah i mean so let's rewrite it for them you want to sure all right so a couple of things first of all i would like it if every guy wasn't ogling her yeah that'd probably be the best way to write it but then of course you got nothing to do in that scene yeah yeah you could also have guys ogling her and then have her say I mean, have her pull rank. Yeah, right. I can have you off the space station in no time, or I can have you confined to quarters, or I can whatever. Yeah. And then if she wants to, and then even if she maybe wants to secretly tell somebody, it's like, you know, I do remember this, and that's not the worst thing, but this is not how, you know, things like this should run. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, if you've got to have something like that happen in that scene, then maybe, I mean, it's the same thing I said about uh, about what I wanted to happen when... um Oh yeah, it's Jeff uh, Cochran. Yeah. Well, no, the guy from Nemesis. I can't remember his name already. It, it's already gone. Oh, wait, Shenzhen. Shenzhen. Thank you. Yeah, when Shenzhen yeah. said to said to Troy, you know, do you mind if I touch your hair? Oh yeah, yeah. I wanted her to call him out for that. You know, uh, teach him some manners for crying out loud, and that probably would have been the best thing for Dax to do as well. At the yeah. same time, Dax is not commander of the station, and Dax is this. Dax is a hard character to get our heads around right now, mm-hmm. not just because she's a trill, but because she was apparently kind of a lecherous old man trill last time we saw her, <laughs> right? And now she's like this twenty-nine-year-old right. young woman who, I mean, it's not, and it's not like any, it's not like all of her personality went away the second she moved from one person to another. It's a fact that it's changed. It's different, but it's not completely different. Mm-hmm. She may be somebody who sort of enjoys attention. At the same time, every guy shouldn't be like, yeah, when she walks by in the promenade because she is a she is a functioning member of this. Well, even if she's not a functioning member of the society, treat her like a human for crying out loud or like a being because she's not human. She's a troll. Hey, can we talk about something else? Let's. All right. Uh, I have a problem with something that I don't have a problem with in this episode. The problem that I have is the fact that I don't have a problem with it. And, Hmm. And to me, it's problematic. Mm. Um, was it legal or above board for Kira to beam Sir Mac Ren out of his office without his permission or without any sort of due process? Uh, I think it was highly unethical. Okay. And yeah. also, I mean, and so there's that part, right? Also, what he doesn't know is not only is he going to be beamed to another ship, but he's going to be beamed to another ship to his death mm-hmm. if he can't come up with a cure for this thing that he didn't do. Yeah. The whole thing is a mess to, yeah. for, for that to be. Look, I, I get Kira's desperation, sure, and, and I get that her plan is 
in some way the least worst because she's not showing up on Bajor. She's not endangering multitudes of people, but she's endangering this guy and she doesn't know anything about him. Does he have a, a, a wife and kids? Does he, you know, uh, is he due to be somewhere later that day that is equally important? We don't know. Yeah. We don't know. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's really going to be equally as important as saving everybody on Deep Space Nine? No. You don't know. You don't okay, know. Okay. It's true. I don't know. That's, that's right. So here's the thing. Watching this episode, I was fine. You know, the first time I watched it with the sidestep that she'd done, right? She'll get the guy without mm-hmm. infecting the planet. But the more I thought about it, Cisco's hands now, Cisco's hands now, because I'm not saying you can expect this from Kira, but you, you should not expect this from Cisco at all. Mm-hmm. because Odo, on more than one occasion, was like, oh, you want information? I'll get you information. Don't ask me how, but yeah. I'll do it, right? And Cisco's like, hey, we got rules. We got a society that we live in. We're crying out loud. There's there's law and there's order. And 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 this time, Cisco's like, I, I didn't even see where she went. Did she go someplace? I wasn't 100% certain. Yeah. And, and so then what does Cisco say the next time Odo wants to cut corners? Because... Because his hands are now exactly as dirty as Odo always wants his hands to be. And then even if Cisco's like, well, that's not the kind of thing we do, why is Odo supposed to listen? Because you know what? It was last week. Remember that mm-hmm. time everybody was sick? It was totally the kind of thing we did then. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I guess what I'm wondering is, is this going to be a fault of Cisco's here? Do we fault Cisco for this? Do we fault the writers for this? Or do we, like Cisco, look the other way because the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few? Yeah. Yeah, I sure. <laughs> I mean, no, you can't say sure because they were diametrically opposed answers, or they should. Yeah, anyway. No, no, no. Uh, look, I mean, uh, uh, Cisco has a lot invested here. Not not only is it his command, his station, but his son is ill too, and and it's sort of by prodding that that Odo says, um, "Let her go." Yeah. You know, you, you, you have to, you have no other choice but to do this. And we almost sort of get to let Cisco off the hook at a certain point because then Cisco gets ill too. Except then you have to ask the question, what would Picard have done? Yeah. Look, Kirk would have done yeah. exactly what Cisco did here. No question. In a heartbeat. In a yeah. heartbeat. Kirk, yeah. in fact, Kirk would have been like, I wish I thought of that. Yeah. But what would Picard have done in this situation? Oh, oh, talked and talked and talked. Yeah, probably until his yeah. words made absolutely no Barney. <laughs> right. <laughs> or until good. his words got him into Barney, because you know yeah, Barney is, yeah. of course, you know Rubble, Trouble. Mm-hmm. That's Trouble. From one of the That's right. from one of the Ocean's Eleven movies, I think, is uh, mm-hmm. where we, it was Basher. A Cockney rhyming slang. Yeah, Basher was the one that told us about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Picard would have would have petitioned, or Picard maybe would have called. Let, let's say Picard has the same um, relationship with Kyle Paca that Cisco theoretically has, even though they've only met the one time so far. Yeah. Picard would have talked to somebody. Sure. And if that person hadn't done it, Picard would have talked to somebody else. And then if Kyle Paco wants to send a couple of bad guys to go pick up this guy and bring him to Deep Space Nine against his will, that's mm-hmm. on Kyle Paco. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. not on Picard at that point. He wouldn't have said that. He And he might have even looked askance, you know, at the two armed guys bringing the guy against his will to the station. Yeah. But Picard wouldn't have stepped aside for Worf to go do that. Right. Or for Riker to go do that. Or for right. Rolaren to go do that. No, nowhere. Nowhere. All right. Think yeah. it's going to be a thing or think it's going to be a thing this week? 
Uh, well, it, you know, there's a lot of weeks to go. That's true. <laughs> so, so I think there are like at yeah. least six more weeks of Deep Space Nine, maybe eight. I'm not sure. Oh, man. That's, that's quite a commitment. <laughs> I, uh, I know. You're in for the long haul, mister. Wow. All right. Uh, let, let's talk about the, the nature of this weapon here, the, this, this bioweapon. I was asking myself if this weapon was any more ethical than another type of weapon that could wipe out an entire civilization. Um, we, we've talked about this before when we've come across genocide recently, like, oh, dealing with the Romulans or dealing with uh, 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 the Borg or in Discovery dealing with Klingons. So this is a thing that has come up. And um, yeah, and this is a weapon that uh, sat dormant for 18 years. It, it is highly mutagenic and it was intended to spread through food, but then it spread through the air as well. And it didn't make people instantly sick. It was sort of had a, they had like a cold and then they started spouting nonsense. And then if you're like O'Brien, you, you get the sweats and you kind of fall asleep. Um, now, by the end of the episode, we see that this all happens pretty quickly. Uh, mm -hmm. From the time that O'Brien was first exposed, a couple of days, and then a couple of more days beyond that, uh, where where he actually is rendered unconscious. But um, th this is a pretty devastating weapon. It, it's just not a uh, it's not a violent weapon. You know, it, it, it's something that the, the, the Bajorans came up with and said, well, we can just plant that there. And um, maybe in, in their logic of it, well, we wipe out everybody on the space station eventually. But then uh, let's say a Cardassian ship comes by, they pick up somebody from Deep Space Nine and they go back to the Cardassian homeworld and, hey, give it a few weeks and, uh, and no more Cardassians to deal with. I assume you're asking uh, as the devil's advocate. I am okay because the idea of genocide, whether it comes in a in a sleepy, entertaining form where we spout off nonsense, is just as horrifying as dropping the bomb. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because you keep saying sleepy. I, I was joking earlier when I said that you know Cisco was threatening to kill people. I mean, mm -hmm. O'Brien was twelve hours from death. And then yeah. the problem was he was only the first because he was the first one to present with symptoms, but everybody was going to die Yeah, on the station at that point. Yeah. I figured you were doing devil's advocate, but I was a tiny bit worried. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Just for a moment. Cause yeah, if we could come up with a weapon, maybe we should come up with this. No, no, no. Like it, a nice it's one, still... like a fluffy one. Like a yeah, nice yeah. sort of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. no. Yeah, I'm no. glad. Yeah. Ah, subtlety, John. Subtlety. <laughs> no, it's it's horrifying, but it, it it's it's horrifying in this way that you can sort of guess the next worst thing. So Akira wisely beams up Surmak rather than actually going to uh, Bajor, which uh, under any other circumstance there might have been the temptation to just go there and say, "Ha! Now you're infected." Oh. Oh, I'm on my home planet. Right. And so is everybody. Right. Now everybody is infected. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, it's yes, it is truly um it's 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 truly just horrifying. I don't know, I, I, but then there's also ah, I see honestly what it made me think of was landmines. Hmm. 
mm-hmm. because I mean they 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 planted something there, and I know they were thinking, and this will kill them quick, and then you know we'll be free, as you just said a minute ago. But the thing that I think about planting landmines is, I mean, someday you may have to retrace your steps. So let's say it's not even just good enough for you that it's bad to commit genocide. Right? <laughs> let's say that's not reason enough. Yeah. I mean, if you do it in such a way that it could kill you too, and then you one day have to retrace your steps. Or, you know, the other thing I thought about was salting the earth. Well, w- w- you know, what if what if one day that is your patch of earth? I mean, then do you, right, I mean, right. you've... You, you, you've sort of screwed up everything for everybody. But, I mean, before you even get to that part, really, you should just concentrate on the part where, yeah, I believe it was, uh, I believe it was one of us on a podcast once or <laughs> twice or eight times, weirdly, who mm-hmm. have had to say that, uh, yeah, genocide, it's just always bad. With the patient swell again, and everything getting back to normal. It is time to see what we can take. From Babel. It's a part of the show where we talk about the messages, morals, and meanings and trying to figure out uh, whether the whole thing holds up. What is this Babel business, John? Really? Do you think there's a reference there in the title? I think there might be. Now, you might think it's from the greatest book ever written, by which I do, of course, mean The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> the, 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 the Babel Fish. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to say it's, it's similar to something in Hitchhiker's, but no, uh, this one is from the Bible. Yeah, I'm not going to quote the Bible here. Instead, I'll quote Wikipedia, which we'll do until, you know, we actually get The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, the Tower of Babel, as told in Genesis 11, 1 through 9, is an origin myth meant to explain why the world's people speak different languages. According to the story, a united humanity in the generations following the Great Flood, uh, speaking a single language and migrating eastward, comes to the land of Shinar. Uh, there they agree to build a city and a tower tall enough to reach heaven, and that didn't please God one bit. Uh, he, so he confounded their speech so that they could no longer understand each other and, you know, scatter them around the world. It, not a direct correlation, but, you know, here we are all talking one language and then all of a sudden we can't understand each other anymore, making things difficult. Hence the the name uh, Babel mm-hmm. in this one, I think. So so there's your there's your reason why. Yeah. And now let's talk about the other reasons why. The things I mentioned a moment ago, like um, messages, morals, meanings, and does the episode hold up? Why don't we start there, Mr. Champion? All right. Uh, Babel, does this episode hold up as far as you are concerned? I feel a little hypocritical in my reviews from the last few weeks. So past prologue just felt like a totally solid story, no matter where you put it. Mm -hmm. Um, a, A Man Alone was okay. But it, it suffered because it felt like you could just park it anywhere. <laughs> so something that I found to be a strength in past prologue, I found to be a weakness in, in A Man Alone. Hmm. So Babel also feels like a very classic Star Trek story. To me, it owes a lot to The Naked Time. Um, but it, it still just really works. I, I don't think it's a classic for the ages, but it is solidly entertaining there are good character moments, um, and it, it reveals just a little more about life on Deep Space Nine. 
Uh, now, if I had to pick a fault with anything, you can tell that they added in the drama with Jahil's ship solely to add some action to the episode. Like, we wanted mm-hmm. to see something explode instead of just people doing science for the yeah. entire episode. Uh, but I, I kind of give him a pass on that because at least there was a slow burn with Jahil. Uh, you, you met him at first and he's a sort of like this, this schlubby kind of, you know, the, 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 the pilot who's got this, like the, the mustache growing over his mouth and kind of sleepy eyed. And he's just sort of like, I really want to go. I really <laughs> want to take this stuff. Please let me go. You know, yeah. and you, you know, something's going to happen, but, but they wait until the very end for it to happen. What was the Stephen Root character from Office Space? Oh, yeah, right. Was right. it Milton? Milton. Yeah, it could have, yeah. could have been Milton. Like, I, I, I'd really like to leave now, please. Yes, yes. I Can do. I please go? Do you take my you, stapler? Yeah. If you don't let me leave, I'm going to blow up your, station, your, your space station. Right, right. right. Yeah, at the end, he blows up the space station or tries to anyway. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. You, you, you give a whole new dimension to Jaheel. Right, right. So, you know, if for for the good stuff with Jaheel, there, there's the bad stuff with the guy eating the uh, the stew, but um, but no, overall it, it it's good. I I if I'm gonna tie it back to the Naked Time, I certainly like this a lot more than I did the Naked Now. Um, yeah, but but they both have the same kind of um, the same kind of arc. And what I'm really glad to see is that it wasn't always the likely person who is going to save the day. So, hmm. in the naked time, you knew, well, Dr. McCoy had to come up with the cure. Right. You know? And then this, is like, okay, well, Bashir's out. Oh, oh, no. Well, Dax is out. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, oh, now Cisco's out. Oh, Kira, Kira's away. Oh, man, now she's out. And then we're left with Odo and Quark. And uh, and and inevitably, we've, we're only four episodes in, but the scenes with Odo and Quark are really strong. And this was no exception to that. Um, not as deep as some of the Odo and Quark scenes that we've had uh, otherwise, but but strong nonetheless. So um, I was glad to see that out of this as well. So yeah, it, it holds up. Like I said, it, it's not one of those that goes there for me as as um, a, a classic to be revered and referenced over and over again necessarily, but, but very entertaining. And uh, I was glad to watch it multiple times for our purposes here. So yes, it does hold up. Uh, how about you? You and I have almost the exact same reaction to this episode. Weird. It's interesting. Who are yeah. you? Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine <laughs> that this is going to be the strongest episode of the series, but mm-hmm. it is a solid episode. Mm-hmm. Um, the things that you nitpick, I nitpick a little bit, uh, a couple of other things instead. Like, I wish the people with aphasia, which, you know, ends up being all of them. Mm-hmm. They could have been more harried or more troubled or more desperate to me. I mean, mm. they just kind of like, it's, oh, I've got aphasia. I mean, they sort of get like <laughs> sad and confused, right? And that honestly got a tiny bit tiring. Then again, it would change the episode entirely if everybody's running around like a crazy person, which I got to figure is what would actually happen. Oh, you know what? My favorite reactions of realizing that they had this, uh, Jake, because I mean, he, he's a kid and he, he is desperate. When, when right. he's trying to, to express things. My favorite reaction is Kira. At the very end, she's in there with Cermak, and she's okay, and she's telling him what he needs to do. And then the moment the wrong word comes out of her mouth, it's just this look of defeat. Like, oh, 
even right me. but she's one of the last people though right and the thing that i wasn't clear about is would she actually understand what was going on the truest um response to me was miles at first when he's going nuts and he oh, knows yeah, yeah. he's going nuts and he leaves yeah because right. ah right? <laughs> right that was fantastic and it feels like there probably should have been a little bit more of that but then again as i say that would have changed that that would have changed the timbre of the story entirely plus it would have been much harder to direct i think right um yeah, I don't know. I mean, so my only other problem with the episode, honestly, it's kind of funny because you were talking about the action around Jaheel's ship. Most of that action is is narrated by Cisco and Odo, yeah. you know, telling okay. us everything that was happening with Jaheel's ship rather than letting us see much of it. Um, but, you know, you got to save a dime here and there because, <laughs> right. yeah, man, that, that could have been the whole cost of the episode. Just, you know, everything that they were saying was going on. Yeah. I do like the twist. I mean, sort of like you like the twist of it's not who we thought was going to save us is the person who saves us. I like the twist of it's not our um, historical bad guy who is the bad guy here. It's our historical protagonist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We thought for sure it was the Cardassians. And, 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 and Kira thought it was the Cardassian. It turns out, no, it's the Bajorans, you know. And I'm glad we didn't spend a lot of time, you know, thinking it was the Cardassians and trying to chase down that lead. Yeah. I mean, it was just twist enough. Like, we thought it was these people. No, it turns out it's these people instead. And that was like, it wasn't It wasn't even jarring, but it was just neat to not have, well, the bad guy is always the bad guy and the good guy is always the good guy. No. <laughs> turns out the good guys here, quote, end quote, and I understand they were separatists and freedom fighters and all those different things. But, I mean, it turns out the, quote, good guys here, the ones for whom we're supposed to feel sympathy Mm-hmm. are the ones that are really raining down, you know, destruction over everybody. Right. Um, and, you know, it was a fairly original situation with just enough tacking the tech to make it believable. And just like you did not mind watching it repeatedly for today's show. Yeah. So, yeah, I would absolutely say uh, that this episode holds up. Um, with the exception maybe of one of the messages, but I'm going to, I'm going to throw it to you first. Uh, what are the messages that you found, sir? Uh, there's a handful in here. Um, Jaheel, he, here's him. Oh, don't worry about me. I'm fine. I'm just going to leave. He's, he's doing exactly what irresponsible people do when they don't understand that they may be carrying a disease. Yeah. So, uh, so get vaccinated, uh, be responsible. It's not just about you. It's the people you come into contact with who may not be as strong as you. So, hey, you don't have a Jaheel. You don't get the novel The Stand. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> right, right. Um, the other thing here is that help may come from the least likely places. So, like, like I said, I'm glad it wasn't just the doctor who finds the cure at the last minute. I mean, it, it was a doctor, but it was not the doctor. And it, it was Quark lending a hand, too. He's got something to offer here. Mm-hmm. So, they're, mm-hmm. they're building the character, but they're also making good drama out of this as well. And uh, and going back to the, the biblical story that, that lends its name to this episode, uh, we all have to speak the same language, literally or metaphorically, if we're going to work together to solve problems, uh, uh, unless maybe a, a virus or an angry god prevents you from doing exactly that. But, <laughs> but on the flip side, you, you got to find the common language to work together. Shaka, when the walls fell, man. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, we're 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 one Darmok away from <laughs> from wrapping this up. Oh yeah, well we reach, we we reach. What else? Uh, don't salt the earth. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. and not even because you might need it someday. It's just a bad way to be. Yeah. Um, Bio-warfare is bad warfare. Yes. Uh, see also warfare. Mm-hmm. And uh, the one that I said, I'm not sure about the one, I guess I wonder whether one of the messages here, the ends justify the means. Um, should that honestly undo this episode? Hmm. Because what Kira did was wrong. Yeah. It was right, yeah. but it was wrong. And Cisco allowing her to do that was wrong. Yeah. And I don't know if that should undo the episode or not, because, of course, I mean, we're only four episodes in, as you pointed out, but this is the Star Trek series. And this is a Star Trek series that we're, we, you and I know, we're going to be watching for the next seven years or seven years of the television anyway. It'll only be three and a half years that we're watching it. Mm-hmm. I mean, but, but, I mean, we're predisposed to like these characters because these characters are the heroes of our Star Trek story that we're going to be watching. Yeah. And so you want to give them a pass. You want to not even think they did anything wrong. But what Kira did was wrong, or at least violated somebody else's rights, which we're given to understand makes it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we, we kind of sort of give her a pass because she's not Starfleet. She's Bajoran. And, and as a character, she's sort of the rogue and, and she's a little more volatile. But then, yeah, put her under Picard's command. Yeah. What happens the minute after and Picard says, yeah, you, you, you acted irresponsibly and unethically. Uh, I'm stripping you of rank. <laughs> you, oh, you know? no. Go back to the questions I asked earlier. Kira yeah. has this idea. Kira is allowed to carry out this idea. The questions that I asked you are, do we fault Cisco for this or do we fault the writers for this? Kira's being Kira. Yeah. yeah. She, I mean, I say she did something wrong. She also did exactly what she would do. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the question really falls to, uh, to to Cisco, I think. Yeah. And I mean, and again, if all we had to compare him to is Kirk, then you and I might be sitting there going, you know, I don't know if they would do it this way today. But I mean, he's certainly in line with Kirk. Sure. But having just come off seven years of Picard, with the exception of a Star Trek First Contact, which really doesn't count because it's a movie, not a TV show. We're not doing that. It's not the same Picard in Star Trek First Contact that we had in seven seasons of Star Trek. And so, and so then when you ask yourself the question, what would Picard do? Um, it's hard to imagine that this is it. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more at roddenberry.com. For more podcasts, check out podcast.roddenberry.com. Over there, you'll find Mission Log, Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, Priority One, and The Trek Files. For even more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That's trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. Next week... Captive Pursuit. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. I am very excited to learn that John and Ken do not know how to play Dabo. I plan to take them for everything they are worth.
podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.